Well, happy Father's Day. Curious how many of you guys, your wives let you out in the rain today, like at the front door. Anybody? Man, happy Father's Day indeed, huh? Hey, we're glad that you're here with us. Uh, you're going to have to forgive all this junk this morning. I came back from a week of camping and brought something home with me, and so um, spent pretty, pretty much Friday, Thursday and Friday on my couch debating if I should let somebody else on staff know, hey, you probably should be ready to go Sunday morning. And then uh, yesterday, thought I was feeling better and uh, made the mistake of fulfilling a promise to take my middle one to a soccer game last night, knowing that was probably not the right idea. Uh, but here we are. So if you can suffer through this, we'll get through this this morning. Hey, we're glad that you're here this morning, despite the rain, despite Father's Day. Glad to see you all here. Um, I hope you enjoyed Ben last week, uh, filling in for me as I was on vacation. Um, I was going to sing this morning for music, and he told me, no way, no how, forget it. Um, and he'd hide even this microphone from me. So, uh, But uh, glad that you guys are here. Before we jump in this morning, i got a couple of questions for you. Uh, you can just think through these in your head if you want to. If you, you can write an answer down, but that's up to you. You can just think through these. Uh, question number one, are you currently living the dream? Like, in other words, everything's going the way you want it to go. Maybe not exactly every detail, but everything's really good. You're living the dream. You've got everything you've ever wanted, but you're unhappy with life. Okay, that's question number one. Number two, do you feel that you've got the best things that money can buy, but you've got an emptiness that you can't explain? Okay, and number three, did you recently or at some point finally get a promotion or get recognition that you thought you deserved, and it required more than you were willing to give. It demanded more than you were willing to give. Uh, today, we're going to kind of flip the script a little bit on this series that we've been talking about, and, and talk about what it's like when we have success in life, and, and the detours that success can bring our way. Because often the problem is that when you have success in life, whether that's a promotion, whether that's moving up the org chart, or whether that's starting a new job or, or something going really, really well, and, and you get to a point where maybe you have control or power, for lack of a better term, over other people, that brings a lot more with it. Uh, you, you could say that success and promotion brings more power and control, but more power and control brings more responsibility and more accountability, and it also brings with it more demands on your life, and those demands can bring dangers into your life. In fact, I'd like to just kind of look at a couple of the dangers that more can bring before we really jump into the, the, the text this morning. If you find yourself with promotion, you find yourself with success, uh, it can bring uh, more opportunities, and more opportunities in life can bring more temptations in life. You think about temptation, often we think about the big three of money, power, and sex. Those are kind of the big three that all seem to go together. It seems it's, it's hard to get one without wanting the other sometimes. But more opportunities can lead to more temptation there. There's a temptation to be fake. You ever tried to pretend to be somebody else so you could get something in life? Or have you ever seen somebody who put on a fake face or a false face to tell an interviewer what that person wanted to hear? I've, I've seen people get jobs or promotions that I thought I should have got, and I knew, I knew who they really were at their core. But I also knew they were willing to play the game and be fake. There's a temptation to isolate 
See, like this, when you go higher up the org chart, there's fewer people on the same level with you, and sometimes it's hard to interact with some of those people. Sometimes it's hard to have a relationship with, with some of the people on a different level, and it can lead to isolation. It can lead to loneliness sometimes. Maybe there's the temptation to be discouraged. When uh, you think everything should be going well and something doesn't, that can lead to discouragement. It can lead to frustration at times. There's the temptation to have an inflated ego. This might be the best of those temptations, or the greatest, because when things are going great, guess who looks good? You do. I do. And it's easy to say, well, I did that. I'm responsible for that. I'm the one that made that happen. More uh, opportunities can mean more temptations. But the more you're elevated, the more people you're around, and more people means more pressure. More pressure in your life, the pressure of presence, just being there being active and being present when something is going on, the pressure of time. Everybody wants just a little piece of your time. And the more time you give to other people, the less you have for yourself, the less you have for your family, and sometimes even your own kids. There's the pressure of trying to please everybody. Is anybody a people pleaser? I used to be a people pleaser until I got surrounded by people all the time. And I'm like, yeah, forget it, you know. Um, I used to want to make sure, in fact, the first few times I ever took a personality profile, it came back and the description was peacemaker. I'm like, well, that says a lot, because here I am always trying to make sure everybody's happy, everybody's got what they need and got what they want, and the more you, you get into a leadership position, the more you realize that if you try to please everybody, you really can't please anybody. There's also the pressure of interruptions. Again, everybody wants a little bit of your time, and that, that's fine, except if you're trying to get something done. And that can lead to pressure to, to hit a deadline or, or come behind a deadline at some point. More people means more pressure. But with elevation in status comes more recognition. And with more recognition comes, guess what, more criticism. Uh, often, everybody can be critical of a leader until you're in the position of a leader. Everybody can be critical of a pastor or a teacher or a coach or a boss until you're the one that's in that position and I've got to say, I, I understand the role I signed up for. I understand what I walked into because I've often been critical of leaders above me. It's just our human nature sometimes. But when we get into that position, we realize the pressures on the decisions that we have to make, it makes that a little bit different. It doesn't always make it easier to, to, to handle. But the point is this. If you're in a position where you get the chance to lead... You have to understand that your ability to lead and to grow is directly related to your ability to handle and withstand pain. Pain is a sign of growth. You can't have growth without being stretched, without being pulled in different directions. And often in life, that's where we find ourselves, going through trials, going through detours, going through tribulations that ultimately lead us to growth so that God can use us in different ways. Now, let me just say, I know several of you or in positions of influence, in positions of power in your jobs. You, you've got a, a high-ranking job. Maybe you run a company. Let me just say, if that's you, that's great. That, that's awesome. I, I hope and I pray that you all find success in the jobs that you're in. But understand, too, you're put in that position for the glory of God and not for your own glory. You're put in that position to bless the kingdom and not just yourself. And that's where the risk often comes in for us because we lose sight of that. Sometimes when you have a great success in life, it can lead to boredom because you're just waiting for the next challenge to come along. Or maybe it leads to complacency, like I've accomplished everything and so therefore I need to kind of take my foot off the gas pedal just a little bit. 
Or again, maybe it leads to this inflated sense of self-worth where, where you look at it and realize all of this came by your own hand. These are tricks the enemy plays on you. They're traps the enemy lays out in front of you because he wants you to fall victim to that. I'll say it like this. Great success often leads to great vulnerability. I've noticed with myself, sometimes when things are going really, really well is when I can be a little bit vulnerable. Why? Because I lose sight of where it all came from. I start to focus on myself and a little less on God. And I can look in the Bible and see that this happened to many other people. In fact, it happened in in the, the three kings of Israel. Saul, the first king of Israel, was somebody who at the beginning was so humble, he hid among the people. He didn't even want to be singled out. He wanted to hide among the people. But yet... As his, his reign goes on and the years pass by, he becomes so arrogant that he even ignores the prophets. And he does whatever he does without them. Excuse me. There's King David who started off being called a man after God's own heart. Uh, somebody, uh, I mean, that's a title we'd all like to have, right? A man or a woman after God's own heart. But David got either too power hungry or, or whatever you want to call it. And one day he spots a woman bathing on a roof across the valley from his house and calls and gets her to his house and they wind up having a child together and to cover it up he murders her husband. Or maybe his son Solomon who in the beginning God says, I'll give you anything you want. And he says, I want wisdom. Give me wisdom. And yet by the end of it, Solomon can't find contentment. He has all these wives and all of these concubines and all of this riches and all this wealth and it's never enough to the point where eventually he says that it's all meaningless. Person after person in scripture and person after person throughout history has found great success in life and struggled to deal with what comes with that. But Joseph is an exception. We see Joseph getting incredible success and learning and knowing how to handle it. He's not just an exception, but he becomes the example. We're in week four of this series called Detours and Decisions, where we've looked through the life of Joseph. We started back a few weeks ago in chapter 37 of Genesis, looking at how Joseph was this privileged and probably spoiled, probably very entitled, uh, you know, young 17-year-old who his brothers despise and hate, so they sell him off into slavery to a, a group of Ishmaelites. They sell him to a man in Egypt named Potiphar. And we read in chapter 39 about him in Potiphar's home, how he's in charge of the whole home, but he resists the temptation of Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife wants him, he resists her, he's thrown in prison because she accuses him of rape, and then he goes to prison. Ben talked about that last week, about, excuse me, about being in that discouraging place, and yet he was patient, and he kept his eyes on God, and in the meantime, he still continued to do what God laid in front of him to do. And we're going to look today at what comes next in the story here for Joseph. Uh, just to kind of give you a quick overview here, we're going to be in chapter 41 here in just a moment. We'll get to the text in, in a second. But what we're going to see with Joseph is this theme that time and time again, we see that it's not the circumstances you face in life that define who you are, but it's the choices that you make in response to those circumstances. Uh, I've said this throughout the series that we can blame others, we can blame ourselves, or we can blame God. The hardest one to blame is ourselves. It's easier to blame others. We don't necessarily like to blame God, but sometimes we'd rather blame him than ourselves. But I can look back at my own story, and many times I've gotten into a situation that I felt like was not my fault at all. Somebody else's fault that I got into it, but I didn't respond the right way. I didn't handle it the right way. 
And whether I lashed out or whether I tried to get revenge or whatever it was, I didn't respond in a way that glorified God or made the situation better. And so, again, it's not the circumstances, it's how we respond to those. In Genesis 41, kind of the beginning of the chapter, Ben talked about this last week a little bit. Joseph's in prison, and he has interpreted dreams for two guys, two, two servants of Pharaoh. And now that they've been released, Pharaoh starts to have dreams, and they tell him, hey, go, go talk to this guy in, in prison. He interpreted our dreams for us. So Pharaoh does this. And, and Ben talked about this. The dreams were basically you're going to have seven years of incredible harvest, Seven years of benefit, seven years of riches, seven years of excess, but don't spend all that money. Stash it back, store the grain, save up, because then you're going to have seven years of famine, and the world is going to be in trouble if you don't save that. And i got to say with Joseph, this is kind of gutsy here, right? If you ever told somebody who's very wealthy and very powerful, hey, you're going to have more than you could have ever hoped for, but don't spend it. I just imagine, like, that's a, a little bit of an intimidating thing for Joseph to say here. But that's what he tells Pharaoh. And here's what happens in, in uh, Genesis 41, verse 37. It says, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Remember what we said a couple weeks ago? That even, even your persecutor sometimes will see God in you. Pharaoh sees God in him. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made known all of this to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Think about where Joseph's come real quick. Okay? Yes, he's sold into slavery as a teenager it was eight years later that we read about the next chapter. I don't know at what point he's put in charge of Pharaoh or of Potiphar's house, but at some point in that eight years, he's put in charge of a household. And yes, Potiphar was a powerful person, a very influential person. And he had many servants in a large house. But think about Joseph being in charge basically of one household. Then he goes to prison, and God is with him in prison, and he's put in charge of all the prison and the prisoners. And then he's brought to Pharaoh's palace, and now he's put in charge of the largest empire on earth. I think it's no stretch to say Pharaoh might be the most powerful person on the planet, and he has given Joseph literally the keys to the kingdom here. Have you ever wondered why God won't give you more responsibility? Joseph started with a little, and God blessed him because he honored what God gave him. In fact, it says in Matthew 25, Jesus is, is reading a parable here. He says, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. We read that parable, and it's true. If you've ever been in a position in life where you're wanting more from God, saying, God, I, I am capable of more, I deserve more, are you faithful with what he has given you? Or are you too busy looking at what he hasn't? Are you too busy worried about what he hasn't given you yet? No, be faithful in what he has put in front of you. Lead what he has given you to lead. Honor and serve what he has given you to honor and serve. Start there. Goes on in verse 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from the finger from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, "Make way." Thus he was put in uh, put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, not one hand will lift or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath-Paneah and gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Just look at these three verses here, or four verses here. You can see where Joseph's at now. This is Joseph that just a few years ago was being thrown into prison. Joseph that just a decade before was being sold into slavery. Now, he literally has the keys to the kingdom. It says he gave him his signet ring. That's that ring that a king would wear with a stamp on it that basically was a green light for anything. This was a credit card with no limit. He could spend whatever he wanted to spend, however he felt like he needed to, and nobody could tell him otherwise. He's given a robe of fine linen. Does that sound familiar to Joseph? Because this isn't the first one he's had. His father gave him a fine robe that his brothers took away from him. Then Potiphar gave him a robe that Potiphar's wife took away from him. And now he's got another one given to him by Pharaoh. He's given a gold chain around his neck. He's given his own chariot. Think about this. He's got a company car now. And this isn't just some, you know, rental off the lot. He's, he's not driving a, an, an old Ford, okay? He's got like a new Mercedes right off the lot. Because a chariot like this was not driven by many people. Only royalty would drive one like this. He's given a wife, and not just a wife, but a wife who's the daughter of a priest. And he's given a new name. What's wrong with the name Joseph? Nothing. But maybe, maybe he needed a new identity because the one he had, had this idea of being a slave. This idea of rejection. Whatever the case, his new name translates to God speaks through him. That's who he is right now. And in spite of all of this, the power, the money, the possessions, the fame. I mean, it says that as he rode, people would shout his name as he would, as he would drive by. Joseph stayed true to himself, and more importantly, he stayed true to God. And he honored God in all that he did. How many times have you found yourself in a position where you've had success in life? Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's just you've come into some money. You've come into something And you realize the hardest thing to do is stay true to who you truly are and stay true to the God who blessed you with what you had. I want to look at three keys that we see in Joseph's life here that help us stay true to God in times of success. We may not think about success as a hurdle. We may not think about success as a trial or as a detour in life. And again, we've talked about the tough detours. Most of you are like, I would love to have this detour of success in life right now. I would love to have this detour of, of all of this stuff. But we've seen time and time again somebody get promotion, get success, get money, whatever it is, and their life craters around them. So we can look at Joseph and see three keys here. I think how we can stay true to God in these times. The first is you start by staying true to yourself. You stay true to who you are. It says in, in, in the book of Ephesians that God created us on purpose for a purpose. That's where his handiwork is the exact phrase there. He created us to do good works in him. Created us to, to live a life for him. And Joseph understands that. That the gifts God gave him, the gifts of discernment, the gifts of leadership, the gifts of administration, weren't to be used for his own benefit. They're to be used for the glory of God. Uh, We talked about humility back in the previous uh, series. We talked about humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. I think another way we can look at humility is that humility is recognizing how to use your gifts for God's glory and not your own. Use your gifts for the kingdom of God 
and not for your own. If you find yourself in a position of leadership or authority, understand something. Leadership and authority don't make you better than anybody else, but they give you more responsibility than anybody else. They give you more responsibility than other people. And with that, with that comes a responsibility from God. It says in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, Everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. If God's blessed you, there's a good chance that he's got other people's needs in mind, especially if he's blessed you beyond what you need, that he's got the needs of others in mind. Often, though, promotion can bring this idea of an inflated ego and this sense of self-worth. You find yourself on top of a company or an org chart. Uh, It can open the door to attack from the enemy because of how you're viewing yourself. I think the flip side of this, though, is sometimes as Christians, we look at all this idea of success and and an increase in a paycheck and and all this more money as just strictly wrong. It's something that we want to avoid. Maybe you've heard this Bible verse before, that money is the root of all evil. Anybody ever heard that? Well, that's not a Bible verse, actually. The verse is, the love of money is a root of all evil. We like to kind of twist that. And I think we're doing it to err on the side of caution. But what it means, basically, is chasing that. Making that your priority and that your God, that can be the root of all evil. But yet I know many people who God has blessed financially and God has blessed with positions of influence and power and they use it for the kingdom of God. And we need people like that. If that's one of you, man, God bless you. We need people of influence in our society. We need godly people in high positions in our world today. Because if we don't, we're just going to continue to get further and further away from the gospel message of Jesus. But I know many people who, who... faithfully follow God and serve the church and make seven-figure salaries. I am not one of them. And there's a reason for that, okay? They know what they're doing with their money. I do not. Okay, remember several years ago when the lottery went like a billion dollars for the very first time? Um, We thought about buying a ticket. I didn't. And full disclosure, I didn't buy a ticket because I got there 10 minutes after it closed. But we made a list. Somebody goes, what would you do if, if you won that lottery? And I started making a list. And then I looked at my list and go, there is zero chance I'm winning this lottery. God is not going to bless me with where I'm going to spend this money, okay? Like, you know, invest in a baseball team, you know, maybe buy my own lightsaber, you know, stuff like that. That's really not going to benefit the kingdom of God very much. There's probably a reason that some people aren't going to get wealthy. Let's just be honest with ourselves, okay? That doesn't mean that God's not going to bless you in other ways, If you find yourself in that position where God is blessing you financially and is blessing you with a position of influence and power, don't feel guilty about that. Instead, ask God how you can use it for his kingdom. Ask God how you can honor him in all that you do through that by being supportive of the church and missionaries, by being supportive of the kingdom, by being sacrificial in all that you do. Honor God in this. Again, we need people that, that are faithfully following Christ in these positions. But the most important part of this is you have to stay true to yourself. Stay true to the you that God made you. Number two, stay loyal to your employer. Now this one, I'll put a little caveat on this at the end. But stay loyal to your employer. Has anybody ever had a boss you just didn't really enjoy working for? I don't see any of my staff raising their hands, so that's a good thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> One of the most important aspects of Joseph's story was his desire and his commitment to stay loyal to those. He stayed loyal to Potiphar to the point where he was even willing to compromise his standing with Potiphar to avoid compromising his integrity. He was loyal to the prison warden. Now he's loyal to Pharaoh. And again, these were long stretches. I know we turn one page in our Bible, and that's the next part of the story, but there's several years that take place in each one of those. If you've ever been in a spot in a job where you just don't fully see eye to eye with your boss, you don't fully get along with your boss, stay loyal anyway. Now, there's an exception here. If your boss is potentially forcing or pressuring you and pushing you into something that compromises your integrity, then it's time to leave. Then it's time to go find something else. But sometimes, sometimes it's just we don't see eye to eye. And I'm not saying you can't ever go find a different job. But be faithful and loyal, even if you're not getting the recognition that you think that you deserve. 1 Peter 2, it says, Submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. Again, there's a line with harsh. We don't really like that last little bit there. You shouldn't stay in any place that's abusive or any place that is constantly dragging you down or tearing you down. But again, sometimes we just don't see eye to eye. When I was a, a kid in school, especially getting into middle school and high school where I would have a different teacher every class, there was always a few that I didn't really enjoy. And my mom would just tell me, that's just how life goes sometimes. You're not always going to be surrounded by people that you like, that do everything the way you want them to do but you have to learn to do your job anyway. So if that's the case for you, go over and above what you're, you're asked to do. Do more than you're, you're asked to do. When I was in college, I worked at an Office Max supply store and had two different managers. The first was a guy named Roy. I didn't really care for Roy. He, he would tell us what to do, and then he'd go sit in his office. We would do it, but I mean, we really didn't enjoy it. Then he, he left, and we were, he was replaced by a guy named Marlon. And Marlon was a phenomenal manager, one of my favorite bosses I've ever had, because there was nothing he would ask you to do that he wasn't willing to do himself. And if he wasn't doing it with you, it's because his manager job pulled him away to do something else. But I would see Marlon walk out of the bathroom with a plunger and a, a, a scrub brush. As the manager of the store, he'd be in there scrubbing the toilets so that we wouldn't have to. Be loyal to your employer so long as they're not pushing you to compromise your integrity and your morals. Number three, most importantly, be honorable to God. Above all, Joseph stayed faithful to God, and God honored him because of this. Joseph was faithful to God when he was thrown into a pit. He was faithful to God when he was sold to Ishmaelites, and faithful to God when he was sold to Potiphar, faithful to God when he was challenged with a temptation. And then when he was thrown in prison, he remained faithful through all of this, and God honored him, and God blessed him. Now, I want you to hear me out, because I, I've said this before, I'm not talking about the idea of a prosperity gospel type of, of faith here. I'm not saying that Joseph had this incredible faith, so God doubled his income and all. That's not what I'm talking about. If you hear that message, that's not a, a message from the Bible, okay? I've heard this from different people. If, if you're faithful, God's going to honor that by, by doubling your salary or, or taking away your debt or something like that. It doesn't quite work that way. But in this case, Joseph was faithful to God and God remained faithful to him. God, Joseph honored God and God honored Joseph. And I, I honestly believe that the reason he blessed Joseph the way that he did was because he knew Joseph had the integrity to do what needed to be done with that blessing. Think about this. Joseph 
gets the green light from Pharaoh. He puts all of this, this excess into the storehouses, all this money and grain into the storehouses. Joseph could have taken that for his own benefit. He could have sold it on the side and gotten so rich that nobody could have touched him. He didn't. He used it to save his people. He honored God because he knew God had a plan for his life in the midst of all of this. I mean, just look at how Joseph goes on with his story. It says at the end of verse four, chapter 41 that he had two sons. He had a son named Manasseh. That name translates to God has made me forget my troubles. Anybody ever had that where, you know, you suddenly just forgot everything that had ever happened to you? Okay, like, no, we don't do this. And Joseph doesn't either. He, he says later on in the story, he looks back at where his life has come. He didn't forget everything, but he wasn't, he wasn't wallowing in it. His second son, he names Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my hardship. Yeah, often when we find ourselves in a place of hardship, we just want to get out of there. Joseph set up his tent and he dwelled there. And not only did he dwell there, but he was fruitful and he blessed the people who might have been persecuting him, knowing that by blessing them, he was blessing God. Joseph understood that God had blessed him beyond measure, and he was faithful to honor God through all of that. I want to do something a bit different as we get ready to close this morning. I'm just going to read a passage of Scripture. It's not on the screens, but I'm going to read it. If you've got a Bible, I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I'm just going to read this to you because these words were written over 400 years later by Moses. But listen to how this reads and how this, replies, or this relates back to the story of Joseph. Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 10, it says, When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I am giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied among everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness of food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and to test your own good. He did this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. But I assure you of this, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. Just as the Lord has destroyed other nations in your path, you also will be destroyed if you refuse to obey the Lord your God. And yet 400 years earlier, that's the life Joseph lived out. He honored God in the midst of everything. So, so what do we do with all of this? What do we do with this idea of honoring God and being true to ourselves and being loyal to those who supply for us? I think the takeaway is pretty simple. To go up, you have to come down. To move up, you must come down. Sounds counterintuitive, right? But I think you know what I'm talking about. If you want to be elevated to a position of influence, you have to come down and humble yourself before God and before others. People are going to put you on pedestals. That's, 
That's almost inevitable. If you're in any kind of position of influence, the catch is when you're on that pedestal, can you humble yourself down and remember that we have a Savior who did that same thing. We have a Savior who came down from heaven to be with us. In fact, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who he goes on to say, humbled himself and came down from the throne of heaven and made himself a slave who is obedient and faithful all the way to the cross. If you want success and you want to handle success well, you have, you have to have humility with that and a focus on God with that and a focus on the kingdom through all of that. Let's pray. God, we're, we're so thankful for the example of Jesus and the example of Joseph. God, I know sometimes one of the, the hardest trials to face is the trial of success. We don't think of it as a trial, but it certainly can be. God, I pray for anybody today who's, who's going through success. Number one, thank you for that. That they're seeing good things in life, good things in work, good things with family. But God, help them to remain humble in the midst of this. To do all of this for your glory. It's so easy for the enemy to let us know what's all about us. God, we're, we're thankful for the story of Joseph that we can follow, that we can relate to. God, I just pray today for anybody who's having the struggle, you would remind them. You're with them. You're always going to be with them. You never leave them or forsake them. And you're faithful to them if they're faithful to you. We're so grateful. We pray that in Jesus' name. For communion, I want to read to you a scripture from Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> um, Paul is going through towns in, in Greece area uh, to uh, tell them about Jesus. And he gets to Athens and he looks around and he sees temples and statues and all kinds of places of worship. And he even finds one uh, made out to the unknown God. Uh, because they were so intent on finding out everything and anything that they could about any particular kind of God that would be alive, and, and they wanted to make sure that they honored that God. Um, and I want to read to you what Paul says to them, uh, and then we'll tie that in with our meditation thought. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of the poets of your own have said, we are his offspring. I find it interesting because I was watching a show yesterday 
And uh, there was a couple who were on a boat, a little tugboat out in the middle of the ocean, and it began to sink, so they had to climb on top of something that would float. And uh, they were out there for at least days, possibly a couple weeks. And no, it wasn't Titanic, because we all know what she did to him. (laughs) And it wasn't Castaway. But it doesn't matter, because here's this couple who are stranded in the middle of a sea of water, And what they needed most was water. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't the right kind of water. It was the kind of water that was going to make them sicker and lose their minds. So you you could worship anything you want. You can just name it right now and just call it that. Build an altar. You could build a temple to it. You could create a religion for it. People have done that through the years and through the centuries. And you can call anything you want God and you can bow down to it and pray to it and give to it and monitor it and clean it up and all kinds of stuff. We know that we have this spiritual need within us. We know we have this craving for this gap in our heart to be filled with something that gives life. But it's not about the volume of God's or that. It's about the God. It's about Him who created us, who breathed into us the breath of life, who gives to us everything that we need. We we need food to live, but we need God more than we need food. We need water to live, but we need God more than water. We need air to live, but we need God more than anything. So as we remember the Greeks who were striving to find out anything they could to make sure they didn't offend any particular God. We just need to remember there's really only one true God and we need to find Him. As soon as we seek Him, He will be right there for us. Let's pray. As we uh, come to you, God, in this time of meditation to remember all that you've done for us, help us to seek you. You've come to us in the form of your son. You have provided for us in the form of your son. You paid the debt for us in the form of your son. You resurrected him to give us life in the form of your son. You've done all these things for us. May we seek you.